Man, um, I'm so excited about what God's going to do this morning. I, I believe that, um, that God's going to do something big, and I hope that you believe that as well. Um, I believe that because I need that. I don't need God to do something big in you as much as I need God to do something big in me. And um, this morning, um, man, I just I, I want to lean into that with everything I got. But this morning we're going to be in Romans 12, and if you have your word, you can go ahead and get there. Um, the past few weeks we've been in this series called Don't Hold Back, um, and I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, um, basically, the thought process behind this series kicked off the first day of January, which is hard to believe we're already kind of ending it here, right? Um, with a story in Isaiah 54. Um, and, and the story kind of is set up in a moment where the children of Israel coming back out of captivity. Man, that's a black mark in itself, right? These are the people of God. These are, these are God's chosen people that he's called out among the whole world to worship him. And then um, he called them out of Egypt. That's an amazing thing. They were in slavery in Egypt. He called them out of Egypt and he, he allowed these people to walk. He split the sea. It's crazy. And, and allowed these people to walk across the sea on, on dry land. And he led these people around in the wilderness in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's crazy to me. Wouldn't you love to see that? Just walk outside and God just take you to work. It's the best GPS ever, right? Like pillar of cloud just going down the road. And all the nations talked about, man, Israel's God. They were a people that were known by their God. That's amazing to me. I wish we were a people that were known by our God. Amen. There were people that were known by their God, but over the, over the years, they, they turned away from this God, right? I've heard the stories, maybe. And they, they began to worship other gods, and in this moment, God allowed them to see just what those other gods could do for them, and they were carried off into captivity to Babylon, and they were there for a while, and then God rescued his people yet again. I love the mercy of God, even in our stupidity, he rescues us, Right? And he rescued his people, again, this people he loves, out of captivity in Babylon, and he brought them back to Israel. And this is that moment when they're coming back. But, man, it would seem like a party, but you're not going back to what it used to be. They're going back to desolate cities, ruined cities. They're going back as just a remnant of who they used to be, and they're going back to a temple, this place where the physical manifest presence of God dwelt above an ark in this place called the Holy of Holies. They're going back to a temple that's ruined. It's just an image of its former self. And man, you'd be like thinking this is an amazing moment, but for them, they're coming back carrying the guilt and the shame of, of captivity. And into that moment, Isaiah 54 happens. It's amazing how God works it out. Right after Isaiah 53, this prophecy of how Jesus is going to come, almost word for word. Isaiah 54 happens, and he tells these people in, in this moment to stretch out their tents and to lengthen their ropes and to drive their pegs deep to not hold back and just see what God would do. Can you, can you imagine hearing that as the people coming out of captivity with guilt and shame? You're just a remnant of your former self, and you're going back into ruined cities, and you're like, God, it doesn't look great back there. Like, thank you for getting me out of captivity, but man, we're not going to ever get back to where we used to be. And God says, you're not trying to get back to where you used to be. I've got something better for you. Stretch out your tent, stretch out your ropes, drive your pegs deep, but don't hold back because I'm about to do an amazing thing. And at the first of the year, we wrapped our, our, our church around that promise, right? 
We said, God, we believe that for us. God, we've had a hard year. 2016 was not a great, fun, amazing year for a lot of you guys. And we wrapped in 2017 our, our thoughts and our life around that, that promise, God, that if we don't hold back and we just see what you will do, we believe that next January we're going to be sitting in somewhere, who knows, it's not going to contain it in this place. We're going to be sitting somewhere and we're going to be looking at the miracle of God. Not something that man can build, not something that we can do, but just out of not holding back and believing, God, that you are enough, that you are big enough, and you are good enough, and you are strong enough, God. We want to see what you will do, so we will leverage everything. We'll risk it all to see the miraculous works of God. I mean, the amazing thing is this morning, I cannot believe that for this building if I don't believe that for you. See, the truth is, like, if we as a building go into that promise, hey, we as an organization go into that promise, then we're not going to see the full potential of what God will do because the church is you guys, right? So for us to wrap our church around these promises, we have to wrap our individual lives around these promises, and we have to just go for it this year. And this morning, in the past few weeks, as we've been talking about, this morning we're going to do that in Romans 12. Um, Romans 12 um, is an amazing little section of scripture here. Um, it's written by Paul, a um, little-known author, um, to the church at Rome, the church that at this point in time he'd never visited, he'd only heard of. Um, and he's writing this letter, and in this letter he accomplishes two things. One is he's, um, he's, he's clarifying the gospel for these people. He's, this is why this book is kind of hard to read. It's a lot of theology. It's a lot of, here's how, here's how this stuff works, right? And then the second uh, mission here is to accomplish how, that, how that's lived out in our everyday lives. What, what is the gospel and what does it mean to us? And in 12, he starts out with this word, therefore. Um, therefore is a hard word to start on because it, it implies there is some context, right? Therefore, I don't know what that means unless there's something that it's there for. Um, so I have to kind of back up a little bit and see, um, see what's going on. So in, in 11, we see that the last few verses, um, Paul just breaks out into an, a hymn. That he's talking about all this theology and it gets him pumped. And then he starts just kind of writing down this hymn to God. And in 33, he says, oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Just, man, what an amazing thing we could start out with this morning. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. And then he says, and this is from Job in 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has he first given to him or first given to the Lord? And God has to repay him. And then in 36, he says this, and this is the therefore, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. What an amazing hymn, right? Like, man, that's good. I didn't know you were a songwriter, Paul, but that's great. We could, you, that could rival Chris Tomlin this morning. That's good, <laughs> deep, amazing stuff. But in 36, he he kind of gives us that therefore, and, and it's this, this little verse. It says, for from him or from God and through him and to him are all things. Just think about the weight of that. Because out of that moment comes everything we're about to hear. It says that everything is from God. In other words, he's saying God is the creator. That, that nothing exists apart from God. 
That's crazy to me. Everything you've ever experienced, everything you've ever known, everything you've ever seen or ever will know, see, or experience came from God. Every color you can ever see, every, every landscape you'll ever picture, every person you'll ever encounter, every taste you will ever taste, all those things were created by God, right? They're all from him. That's what he's saying in that moment. That's a, that's a loaded little word right there. And then it says, in, through him. What it's saying here is that everything we have, everything we own, everything we've been given that comes through the vessel of God, that God made everything and then God distributes all those things, right? That means, that means you're, you're, you're here this morning and the clothes you're wearing are from God. They're not from Gap or Air Apostle or wherever you got them from. They're from God, maybe by way of, right? That means all, everything in your wallet this morning and your wallet this morning are from God. It means that car you drove to get here and that house you live in, those things are from God. It even goes deeper than that. The very breath you just breathed in and the very exhale you just exhaled is from God. You're right, and Ruth kind of, kind of comes alongside 2 Corinthians from last week. Everything is from God. Everything you have, even the heart and your chest and the, and the beat that it has, the very rhythm of your heart this morning comes from God. And then it says this, and, and to him are all things. That everything that God has made and distributed has a purpose, and that purpose is it's God's, Right? Everything you have, everything you see, everything you've ever experienced, everything you will or have ever owned is actually for God. The proof of that is when you leave this place, you can't take any of it with you, right? There's one name that was before, and there's one name that'll be at the end, and that name will get the everything, right? <laughs> everything first come from him, and everything will go back to him. That's what it's saying. Therefore, because... God made everything. Because God distributed everything and because everything is for God, therefore, what we're about to hear flows out of that moment. So to, so to really hear what we're about to hear, we have to wrap our heads around that thought. That God made everything, God gave everything, and everything is for him. Therefore, brothers, he's not just talking to males here, by the way, this is just a generic way to address the, the church, the people that would say they believe in God, people that would say, I've come to know Jesus or I have a relationship with Jesus, church word saved, uh, those people. Therefore, brothers, it's not a letter to the lost here. It's a letter to you. By the mercies of God, I urge you or I beg you or I plead with you um, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is, this is what he says here out of this moment. Everything is made by God. Everything is from God. He gave, distributed everything. And everything is for God. And because of that, church, man, I beg you to present or to give your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, every time we hear this word sacrifice, it should call us back, right, to the Old Testament, the sacrificial system where usually people would come in and they would offer up or they would give up to God some kind of animal. And usually, not all the time, but usually it was for the atonement of sin. But it was, it was a voluntary thing. Like nobody come to your house with a little pitchfork and drove you out and like said, let's go to the temple. You got to get rid of that sheep today. Like that's not how that worked. But, but you, you, would, you would recognize, man, I've done this and I, and I, and I need to offer this, right? And what he's 
saying here is something very similar. He's not calling us to go and to be killed on the altar. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, let's just go end at church. It's not one of those drink the Kool-Aid kind of mentalities here. Um, because he says living sacrifice. But it is calling us to sacrifice, to offer up or to give up our bodies or our lives to Jesus. He says here, because God made everything and because God gives everything and because everything is for him, because this is the only reasonable response, church, to that. I I beg you, I urge you to present, to give up, to freely offer your, your lives, your bodies to Jesus. That's hard. Amen? Some of us heard that and we're like, okay, whatever that means, right? Amen. I agree. But agreement is normally followed by action, or it should be. So what is, what is the action here? What, what does that even look like? And Paul, knowing here today that we would need it, um, he, he explains it. He says, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then he kind of describes it for us. He says, holy and pleasing to God. Because God made everything and everything is distributed by God and everything is for God, I beg you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, this is how, holy and pleasing to God. These are the instructions, right? Holy and pleasing to God. Now, this, this, this word holy and pleasing are not two separate actions, but the being holy it kind of enacts the second action. To be pleasing to God, your life must first be holy to God. Holy is a word that means to be set apart, right? To, set, to be set aside. That it's something different. It's not for me and it's not for you. It's for God. It's, it's completely his. In the context of God, it means otherness or transcendence. But it, in the context of us, it just means that we are other from the world and we're set apart for God. But a, a word that kind of God dropped in, in my heart this week that, that totally goes with that is this, this word reserved, right? Because this is a word that we can all relate to. This is a word that we all know something about. We've, we've all called a restaurant, hopefully, probably. I think all the kids are over there. They may not have. Uh, <laughs> we've all maybe called ahead before, and we've reserved a table, right? It's a word we can relate to. And when you reserve a table, what it means is it's your table. It's set apart for you. When you go down to sit at the restaurant and you walk in and you're like, hey, uh, today I uh, called in and, and this is my name, they'll, they'll take you to your table and it's your table. It's not Billy Joe Bob's table and it's not Fred's table. It's your table and part Beeler, party or whatever, right? And we take me in and they take me to my table, my reserved table. It's my table. Let me get this. There you go. It's my table, right? It's a beautiful table, by the way. I love this. Thank you, whoever made this happen. There are like six of you, I think, this morning. Um, this is my table, and it's a, it's a good table. And then the amazing thing about my table is I can invite whoever I want to my table, right? Now let's replace the word table with life. This is my life, right? This is my table, and I can invite whoever I want or whatever I want into my life or my table because it's my table. It's reserved for me. It's mine. So uh, I'm not going to be rude, and I'm going to invite my family 
and got that to my table because they're my family and I don't want anybody fussing at me at Christmas. So they can come <laughs> and sit at my table. They, they can be part of my life. And, and I like people, so I'm even maybe this morning going to let my friends come into my table, right? Friends, you can, you, can come in to, you can come into my table. You can come to my life. And maybe some of you, uh, maybe significant other gets to be part of your table. You decided that or not decided that. Maybe it's for some of you. Maybe for not some of you. We'll just scoot it over. But significant other is maybe a thing at your table that was invited into your table, right? But now I've got to fund all this because these people want Christmas presents and these people want Christmas presents and this person really wants a Christmas present. So I've got to fund all this stuff now, right? So I'm going to need to invite a job into my table. I'm going to run out of room on my table here in just a second. That's maybe a spiritual thing in itself, but uh, maybe get a job into the table because I, I have reservations and I've got to pay for all this. Um, but when you get a job, right, money comes into the table and when you get money, stuff comes into the table. So we're starting to get some stuff already up here on the table, right? Um, and, and I don't just like go to work, so I'm going to bring some hobbies into the table because um, I like to do stuff, and I'm me, and I'm going to be me. Um, and, and I like to do other stuff, so entertainment maybe even comes into the table. So you can see I got a lot of stuff on the table already, right? A lot of stuff in, into life. This is, you guys, most of you have a lot of this stuff. We can just agree with that, right? And then, um, because I'm human, right? You've heard that. We're going to bring pleasures into the table, because we like those, right? Maybe some of them are good, maybe some of them are bad, but we like to do stuff. So pleasures, maybe that comes into the table. Unfortunately, when pleasures comes into the table, it's got friends, and sin is a, a friend of pleasure. Um, and guilt also comes with pleasure. Um, shame, shame's going to come out. It's going to pop out with pleasure here. Um, and maybe I don't really care for those guys. I, I don't love guilt, do you? It's not like awesome. Oh, love it's guilty is amazing, right? Um, it's not probably it. But you can see like I've got a lot of stuff on, on my table in, in my life. And if we just took a survey, we're not, don't raise your hand, please. Um, most of our tables look like this, right? Most of our tables are kind of filled with these basic things. You, you can put whatever title you want on this. I don't care. doesn't matter. It's the same, same word. You, you can put whatever title you want on this guy, right? It's the same, same card, simple. Not one worse than the other. I don't have a big sin card and a little sin card to replace it to, to, for whoever's here this morning. It's the same, and it's on my table. And everybody in the world has a table, a life, and this is basically what it looks like, right? Now, now let's just imagine this morning that this is my table, and then I, I get saved, right? So I'm going to add Jesus to my table. I'm going to actually, because I, I like Jesus pretty well, um, I'm going to actually even pull up a chair for Jesus. I'm gonna, just going to get him. Jesus, you can be right here. Sit right there, Jesus, and uh, I'm going to invite Jesus to my table this morning. Now, this is the image for us this morning of, of a Christian life. Maybe even because we like Jesus so much, we're going we're gonna to just pop church right there with him onto the table this morning. Now, this is the image probably of most of our lives, right? Just think about it. 
It's you, it's me, it's us. Um, can I just say this morning that this is not a holy life. This is a life where I took my life, my stuff, my, my priorities, my relationships, and I tacked on, added on Jesus. And this is the life of 99, just made up that statistic, um, percent of the people probably in the church. Because that's what we know. Because for all of our other existence, we started with this, right? When we were born, it was just us. And then family got introduced to us by whoever was holding us at the hospital first, right? And then throughout life, what we did is we just, oh, I'm, I have friends now, right? And oh, I've discovered, uh, I've discovered pleasure now. Or I've discovered entertainment now. Or I've discovered, and we just start piling stuff onto our table. This is natural. This is what we do. So it's, it's really no coincidence that when we come to find Jesus, what we do naturally is we just add Jesus to our table, and, and Jesus, you know, normally comes with church or maybe Bible reading or maybe, maybe prayer or something. He, he brings something to the table with him. But, but in all, this, this is most of our lives. But this does not describe a holy life. I'm, I'm not saying you're going to hell because this is your table. I'm not saying you're lost because this is your table. I'm just saying that because God made everything, and he gave everything, and everything is for him. And if the response to that looks like a holy life, a life that's pleasing to God, a life where God is in charge, then we have to do something about this table. See, when, when you add Jesus to the table, maybe, just maybe, um, maybe guilt comes off the table. I added Jesus, guilt came off the table. Maybe, I can't find him, um, Got a lot of cards. <laughs> Maybe sin even, or, or shame. Where's shame? Maybe shame even comes off the table. Because Jesus destroyed, right, guilt and shame on the cross. Those were destroyed. So maybe I don't feel those anymore. Maybe I don't do those anymore. Maybe, maybe sin even for me, it's not an issue as much anymore because Jesus destroyed that. I don't have to do that anymore. So maybe I was just like, man, I'm really good at following the rules, so I'm going to pull sin off the table. Maybe even, um, maybe even some of my relationships change, and, and this wasn't good for me, so I just get rid of that. But ultimately, this even in itself is not a holy life, right? Last week, we talked about how Jesus didn't come to die to give us the ability to be a better version of our old self. But he came to die to give us the ability to be completely new, to be different. And, and to be different, what I have to do is I have to go through here and I got to pull everything off the table. I'm even going to take church, by the way. I'm going to take me. And I have to get up from my table and my table now has to be reserved for Jesus. This is a picture of a holy life. I, I, I even step back. So now this is not my table, but it's Jesus' table. This is his table. It's a nice table. It's a good table. It's an amazing table, and it's his. It's reserved for him. And maybe he'll let me pull up a chair 
right? And, and I would say that Jesus, he, he loves me, so he might let me be at the table. And, and church, in the, in the context of Jesus, he'll probably let that be at the table, right? It says, don't forsake the assembling of the brethren. So he probably wants that. I, Jesus even loves who I am, so probably my hobbies maybe can come to the table, right? Money, he, he might let that come to the table. I'm going to put it back there. Friends, uh, I don't think Jesus wants me to be lonely, so he'll probably let friends come to the table. Um, he said to, to work as you're working for God as you work, so God's not against work. So a job can be at the table. Stuff can even be at the table. Uh, entertainment can even be at the table. Um, family definitely can be at the table. And pleasures, even in the confines of Jesus, can be at the table. Right. Now, notice, the, the, I'll put significant other back up here. Sorry for you, buddy. Um, in the confines of Jesus, all these things can be on the table. Now, we're still not gonna still not gonna put shame on the table because that was destroyed at the cross that's not invited to Jesus's table right um guilt actually is not actually having to see at Jesus table he did not invite guilt to the table he destroyed guilt on the cross that's not allowed to come to the table and sin actually is not allowed at the table so we're still going to keep those off the table but other than that my table is pretty much the same right except for it's not my table it's Jesus's table this is, this, is, this is the image of a holy life. This is not an image of a church life. This is not an image of um, a, a Christian life. This is, this is an image of a, a, a holy life, a life that's set apart for Jesus. And see, what happened is now Jesus is at the center of the table, right? All these things can be on the table, but they're only on the table if Jesus says they can be on the table. If Jesus says on the table for you is not this, that goes, Right, because Jesus gets to decide what is on and what is not on the table. If Jesus says, I'm the only thing on the table, that's the thing on the table. Because that's a life holy to God. Jesus says, maybe hobbies and stuff and me and friends, maybe all that stuff can come to the table. But what if, what if this person, this significant other, what if this is not somebody God has for you? Good reasons or bad reasons? They're pulling you away from God or it's just not the best. So Jesus says, take it off the table. That's a holy life because Jesus made the decision, right? He says, who can be at the table? What if Jesus says, now your friends, your friends, your friends, these, these people need me and, and, and you can be, but you can't, you're going to be them if you hang out with them. So friends, we're going we're to get you different friends. You got to give up them to get me. If you want a holy life and you want me at the center, you got to flip that. That's a Jesus table. Jesus decides what's on the table and what's not on the table. It can't be, oh, well, I really like stuff, so I'm not giving up stuff. That's because then you put you at the center of the table and Jesus on the side. You can't say, oh, I really like, I really like, um, uh, let me find one, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I really like my friends. I really like my friends. I'm the best friends in the world. They're there for me. They're with me all the time. Yeah, but they lead you into sin and they lead you away from Jesus. And if you're going to keep them on the table, then you flip spots because it's your table. It's not Jesus' table. See, to be a holy life that's given completely to God, then Jesus, it's his table. It's reserved for him. And he gets to decide what comes to the table, but he also gets to decide the priorities or the importance of the things on the table. See, when, when, when this becomes family, that's a good thing, right? Family's an amazing thing. 
But when this becomes the most important thing in your life and it takes place of Jesus, then Jesus is at your table. Family time is a great thing. But when it takes place of, then you are at the center, right? Uh, uh, hobbies, they, they're a beautiful thing. That's what makes you who you are, what you like to do. That's part, of, that's part of you. But if that's the most important thing to you, then you're at the center and Jesus is at the side. See, to have a life completely given to God means that Jesus not only gets to decide who sits at my table, he gets my table. It's his, to do with what he wants to do. It's his life. And that's what it's saying here in Romans 12, is because everything is from God, because he made everything, and because God gave everything, and because everything belongs to God. Therefore, our only reasonable response is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy. Holy. And pleasing to God. See, the truth of it is, you cannot live a pleasing life to God except for a holy life to God. This will never please God. You can, you can take this off, 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 you can take this off. But this will never please God. I can add songs, I can add worship, I can add um, church, I can add service, I can add missions, I can add whatever I want to, but this will never please God because as long as it's my table, it's not his table. And the only life that pleases God is a life that's holy to God, a life that's given, completely set apart for God, a life that's reserved for him. Some of you guys are trying really hard to, to please God, Right? But you're trying to please God in your boundaries, in your confines. I want to I be pleasing to God, so I'm going to read the Bible. It's great. You're just being an, a better version of the old you. I want to please God, so I'm going to go to church. That's beautiful. But you're in the end of the day, you're just being a better version of the old you. I want to be, I want to please God, so... I'm going to learn all the worship songs. I'm going to be in the band, or I'm going to be a preacher, or I'm going to be a missionary, or I'm going to move to Africa. That's great. But man, as long as you are at the center of your table, you can do whatever you want to do. And all that stuff can be church stuff, and God will never be pleased. See, the only life that's pleasing to God is a life that is God's. And Paul said if he made everything, and if he gave everything, including Jesus. And if everything's for him, the only thing that makes sense, the only reasonable response is that we give everything right back where it's meant to be. And if he takes us off the table, if he takes our seat from the table, you can get to choose nothing. that this is still what we want. Because this is a holy life. It's a life that's set apart. It's a life that is not a better version of the old us, but it's a life that's different. And this is a life that people will notice. This is a life that's worth something. 
This is a life that is valuable in the hands of God. God can do stuff with anything. But he can do a lot with somebody who will just hand it over, right? And Paul says, I, I beg you. I, I beg you. I plead with you. I've never even met you. I don't know you. I have no idea who you are. <laughs> but man, this is all that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. And God loves you. And he came for you and he, he died for you. God made everything and then he gave everything. And when I say gave everything, I, yes, I mean he gave your stuff, but I mean he gave you the son of God. He opened up the vaults of heaven and poured out the one and only Jesus. He bankrupt heaven for you. And the only thing that makes sense is to go bankrupt for him. To, to take the table, let's reserve your table, and, and you take yourself off and, and you put Jesus there and you, if he invites you back, he invites you back. But if he doesn't, you, you just are okay with it because it's the only thing that makes sense. He made you. And he saved you. Like he literally died for you. And it's all for him anyway. So why does it even make sense that I would be at the center? It says, I beg you, brothers, present your bodies a living sacrifice, a, a holy life that's pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual worship, is what he says. The Spirit's that part of us that connects with God. The soul is the life-giving force. The Spirit is that thing. We are spiritually dead. You remember Genesis 3? But through Jesus, we've been made spiritually alive. And what he's saying here is if you really want to connect with God, then you get up from the table. You want to raise your hands and cry, do it. You can do that as a Christian and be completely in charge of your table. But you're never going to connect with God in a real meaningful way. If you want to read your Bible and be smart, do it. You can do that from the center of your table. You're never going to really connect with God in a real meaningful way. If you want to tack on church and tack on Jesus and, and do all the religion stuff, you, you, you feel free to do it. But I just want you to know if you want to connect with God in a real meaningful way, then what you have to do is you have to back up from your table. You have to surrender reservations to Jesus and then let him decide. That's what pleases God. That's hard, right? That's hard. That's why it's called a sacrifice. In a sacrifice, something has to die. In this occasion, it's you. Yeah, you still get to be here, and you still get to breathe, and you still get to do your thing, but, but, but your desire, your will, your allegiance to yourself, that's got to go. And you've got to put Jesus firmly in the center of your table. But when you do that, let me just tell you, you connect with God in a way that you've never done it before. 
Remember the woman at the well when she starts trying to talk to Jesus about all this different stuff and he looks back at this woman and he says, I tell you now, woman, there's a time coming when you don't have to worship here or there, but you can worship in spirit and in truth. You can connect with God wherever you are. And it can be real. And then Paul here in 12 says, well, let me finish that statement for you. You want to connect with God in a real meaningful way, get up from your table and let Jesus be at the center. Man, that's a life that's pleasing to God. That, that's a life that's worth something. That's a life that means something. That's a life that's going to outlive you and outlive your ability. It's, it's a life that's going to not make you feel empty at the end. Man, wouldn't that be scary if you lived here for 60, 70 years on this planet and you thought you were following Jesus, but he was really just pulled up to your table? And, and maybe, maybe you get into heaven. But you're standing there at the end and you're thinking, man, I, I wish I would have. I don't want to go into heaven with a I wish I would have. Do you? Because in reality, we can right now. We can, we can see God do things in our lives, in our day. We can see God do amazing things in, 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 in our families and our friends if we put Jesus at the center of the table because then all those relationships, all those things, they, they, they come around, they rotate around Jesus. Why, why is there no difference in my family? I've been following Jesus for years now well, because you're still at the table. You're still in the center. And you're trying to make something happen when if you just put Jesus there, he'll make something happen. Why, why is my job so unfulfilling? Why do I feel so empty at the end of the day? Because you're going to work and Jesus is not in the center. You're going to work. Why, why does entertainment and, and stuff and pleasure, why doesn't it have the same effect on me it used to have? Because you're at the center of your table. And that's the spot that's reserved for Jesus or it should be. See, in reality, he made everything and he gave everything and everything is for him. And when we realize that, the only reasonable response is to just give it back now. But I have to wait to get to heaven to give him everything. When I see it, that's the moment, right? Let's pray.